uh, other than to, to say a, a word that God has uh, put on my heart for this morning, <clears throat> I want to speak about when God is silent. The story of the Bible contains the story of the people of Israel, and it chronicles their journeys through times of blessing. And those times of blessing are followed almost immediately and almost every single time by times of disobedience, then by God raising up a man or a woman to call them to repentance, to speak to them. Then it's followed by punishment uh, for them not listening. Then it's followed by repentance and then back into a time of blessing. And then somebody hits rinse and repeat, and the cycle repeats itself all over again throughout Scripture. Blessing, disobedience, call to repentance, uh, punishment for not repenting, repentance, blessing. Rinse and repeat over and over again throughout Scripture. And then suddenly, God is silent. We have him speaking through Moses, through the law, to Moses through the law. We have him speaking throughout that time of that, that cycle of, of repentance and blessing and then uh, disobedience. We have him speaking through his prophets to his people uh, over and over again. As that cycle repeats, God, God speaks to his people. And then suddenly, for 400 years, God is silent. For 400 years. And from, so from speaking, 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 silence for 400 years, and then an angel appears to a man called Zechariah and says to him, you're going to have a son, John the Baptist. That's the first time in 400 years that God speaks. Before that, he's silent for 400 years, and the people are sitting, they're waiting, they're listening, and there's nothing. How many of us are in that same situation? Not waiting 400 years, but a situation where God is silent. Today I want to look at a few practical things that we can do when God appears to be silent because I've been through those times in my life when God has been silent and they can be really tricky times. I want to help us this morning to navigate faithfully through those times because the most important thing, if you're in a time when God is silent, the most important thing is not how you got into that time. The most important thing is not how can I get out of this time. The most important thing is how can I faithfully navigate in the midst of this time. It's not important how you got in, how you get out. How can I be faithful in the time that I'm in is the most important thing. That's my greatest concern. As a pastor, I see so many people navigating poorly, sometimes unfaithfully, with their focus, how do I get in, how did I get in, how do I get out? And we forget about how do I navigate faithfully and well through this tricky time. What often happens in these times when God is silent is we get frustrated and to be frustrated is a terrible place to be in for you. But I can promise you it's an even worse place to be in for the people around you. I know that because I've been in frustrated times and my wife has told me how terrible it is. I know that. What happens when you're frustrated is we display gifts without grace. What happens is that we use our gifts to break people down instead of build them up. Friends, every gift that God has given to you and I is a sword. And that gift, if we display that gift, if we use that gift without grace, what happens is that we use that gift to break people down instead of to build them up. Gifts were given to us by God with the responsibility to temper those gifts with grace. And when we get frustrated, what happens is we use them without grace. So as an example, one of the gifts God has given me is the ability to preach to use my words to make plain the mystery of the gospel, to make it simple so that in the hopes that people will be led to laugh. When I'm in a place of frustration, I can use those same words to cut people down and to break them down instead of build them up. The same gift that God has given me. See, when I'm frustrated, when I'm angry, when I'm bitter, God doesn't take his gift from me. He leaves his gift with me. And what happens is I use that gift without grace. 
And so I break people down instead of building them up, friends. And I'm, I know that I'm not the only one that does that because I've seen some of you do it too. Not all of you. I've seen some of you do it. When, we, when we're frustrated, we have to resist the temptation to become frustrated. We have to continue to obtain grace so that our gifts can be used to build up, not to break down. See, God isn't looking to use gifted people. God uses people who use their gifts with grace. When we build, when, 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 we are, when, we, when, when we're wanting to build with people in the church, we don't look for the most gifted people. There's people sitting here that are far more gifted than me. There's people that, are, that, that we work with who are far more gifted than me, far more gifted than most of us on our team. But they don't have grace with their gift. And so their gift can be used to build some things and to break some things and, and destroy some things. And that's a dangerous place to be in. God doesn't use gifted people. He uses people to use their gifts with grace. Often when God is silent, it leads to frustration with us. We have to resist frustration and keep accessing the grace of God. See, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says this, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God so that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. What I've observed is that when people live with frustration for too long, the frustration turns to bitterness. And the Bible says here that when there's a root of bitterness, it defiles many people. To be defiled means to be affected negatively. It makes you dirty. It affects you negatively. It dirties you. It defiles you. The root of bitterness, when, when, when your frustration is allowed to fester, your frustration is allowed to continue for too long, it turns into bitterness. And that bitterness negatively affects the people around you. But the Bible says it defiles many. But it also says the remedy for this is to keep accessing God's grace. It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. You see, the grace of God is freely available to all of us. But not all of us access the grace of God. Not all of us obtain the grace of God. When we're in times when God is silent and we're becoming frustrated, if we don't continually access the grace of God, we use our gifts to break down and not build up and, a, and bitterness starts taking root in our lives. Have you noticed that in people? It's very, easy to, it's very easy to see a person who has bitterness rooted in their life. It's not a pretty thing. And the Bible is right. It defiles many. It makes everyone around them Bitter. It leaves a taste in your mouth. Remember, what's important when God is silent is not how you come out of that time, but it's how you navigate in that time. And so you might have heard people say, I'm just waiting on God. I'm waiting on God when God is silent on a particular issue. Perhaps you're sitting here today and you're waiting on God around a particular decision or a particular circumstance. You're waiting, waiting on a God who seems to be silent. Remember, the goal isn't for us to get through that time as quickly as possible. It's for us to navigate through that time faithfully. So if you're here this morning and you're waiting on God for something, for him to speak into a particular area, what do waiters do? They serve. If you are waiting on God, do what waiters do and serve. If you're, if you're in a time where you're waiting on God, to speak, one of, the time, one of the ways that you can faithfully navigate through this time is by serving. And we serve God by serving people with the gifts that he's placed in our hands. Tempered with grace, obviously. We don't only serve God by greeting people at church on a Sunday once a week, by playing in the worship team. No, friends, those things are good. We must do those things. But God's highest calling for you is not for you to be an okay barista on a Sunday. Right? 
If that's what God's highest calling, if God's highest calling for you is to stand at the door and greet people, if that's how you serve God, I think we've missed the boat a little bit. If you take, hear, hear what I'm saying. Those things are good. We must do those things. But that's not God's highest calling for you. In this family, we speak about serving in gift and in chore, right? This is not the church. The people are the church. This building is, uh, this building is our family home. It's not the church. We are the church. This is our family home. When we've got guests that are coming, uh, coming into our family home, we want to serve those gifts well. And so we speak about serving in gift and serving in chore. When, when we have guests coming into our home, nobody has the, the gift of washing the dishes. Perhaps it seems that I have the gift of washing the dishes in our house. <laughs> so be it. Nobody has the gift. Nobody has the gift of making the bed, right? And mowing the lawn. That's nobody's main gifting, right? But we still need to serve and chore when the family gets together. So we need people welcoming at the door. We need people waving silly fingers and saying hello in the parking lot. And we need people serving pretty good coffee in the coffee shop. We want those things, all right? But that's a chore. That, that, that's not, your highest calling is not to greet people at the door and, 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 and serve them coffee. That's a chore. When the church gathers, some of us get to serve and gift, and some of us get to serve and chore. So perhaps if your, if your gift is leadership, or if your gift is to preach and teach the word, then you get to serve the church when it gathers. But for the majority of people, your gifts serve the church when it scatters. From, from Monday to Saturday, as the church scatters, you serve in your, your gift then. Your highest calling is to serve God by serving people with the gifts that he has placed in your hands, tempered with grace. If you're waiting for God to speak, do what waiters do. Serve. Remember, it's not how quickly we can move on from this time. It's how faithfully we can navigate through this time. Waiters serve. God always speaks in time and space. In Genesis chapter 1, when God speaks, he creates, he speaks into a void. And the first two things that he creates are time and space. He says there's light and he creates night and day, which is time. And then he separates the waters from the earth. That's space. Right? So God only speaks once into a void. In Genesis chapter 1, he speaks once into a void. Every other time God speaks after that, he speaks into time and into space because those are the first two things that is created. The problem for so many of us is that when God is silent, we don't give him time or space. Are you in a season where God is silent? And the first question to ask yourself is, have I given God time? Have I given him space? I speak to people who tell me that they're waiting on God to tell them something, but, he's, but God is silent. What must I do? My first question is always, have you allowed him time? Have you allowed him space? Well, no, I, I prayed about it a few times, and then I was kind of hoping that God would speak to me in a dream, perhaps through social media. Uh, maybe if I come to church on a Sunday, God will use one of the worship songs, or he'll use a preacher to, to speak to me. Hopefully, I prayed about it a few times, and I'm hoping that that, that will be the answer, right? God will miraculously speak to me in a dream, because then I don't have to do any hard work. Right? That's what so many of us hope. And I, I, I don't say that flippantly. That's how so many of us want God to speak to us because we don't have the discipline to allow God time and space to speak. All of those things are true. Can God speak to you through dreams, through social media, through uh, the worship, through a preacher on a Sunday? Absolutely. He can and he does. But God also always speaks through space and time. So if you're waiting for God, 
to speak. Give him time and space. Don't expect God to interrupt the busyness and distractedness of your life to speak to you. God's not you to interrupt. Interrupt your busyness. Interrupt your hurriedness and your worriedness. He's not trying to interrupt that and speak. Give him time and space that he can speak. The Christian life is one of being unhurried, not distracted, of having time and focus. Give God time and space to speak. If you're in a place, if you're in a place at the moment where God is silent, I want to help you to continue to navigate faithfully. I'm going to look at a scripture in the Bible and then apply some of these lessons to our life. It's quite a long scripture. I'm going to read through it. It's in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3. I'm going to read through it. Uh, so listen. It's not going to come up on the screen. You're just going to have to listen. Back to your school days of the teacher reading. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go and stand in the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So the story of Elijah, I want, I want to pick out four quick things out of the story of Elijah. And Elijah's sitting in a time when God is perhaps not uh, absent, but he certainly is quiet, right? Elijah's running for his life, fearing for his life. He's in a place of anxiety, actually of quite deep depression. Elijah's in that place, and God is silent, and then something changes. And so I want to pick out four quick things uh, that, that, that we can learn from in times in our lives when God is silent. Number one, rest and eat. Rest and eat. So I spoke about giving God time and space, but how so many of us are actually just too busy to hear God. Elijah is in a place where he's running for his life. God seems very far, and if he's not far, he's certainly silent. But what God does is he recognizes Elijah's state. And God doesn't speak to him in the state that he's in. God doesn't speak to him in the state that he's in. God allows him to rest, and then he gives him food to eat. Because he knows that if he... If, if, God knows that if he'd spoken to Elijah in the state that he was in, he most likely wouldn't have heard him. And if he had heard him, he certainly wouldn't have listened to him because he wasn't in a state to hear it. He needed to rest and he needed to eat first. Friends, resting and eating are deeply, deeply spiritual activities. When you're in a condition of worry and hurry and distraction and fear, sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is rest and refresh yourself. I've found in my own life that the times when God speaks 
the clearest to me are times of rest and focus, not times of worry, not times of hurry, not times of distraction, not times of fear, but times of rest and refreshment. Rest and eat. Resting and refreshment are spiritual activities that can actually help you hear God because it puts you in a condition where you can listen, not just hear. Before God speaks to Elijah, he, he, before he speaks to him, he lets him rest and eat. He could have spoken to him before that. He could have put all of his fears and, and, and given to, 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 to rest and given Elijah his plan. But he says, you, in the state that you're in, what you actually need to do, the best activity that you can do is rest and eat. Rest and refresh yourself. Friends, some of us here this morning, we, we are wondering why God is silent. And actually, for some of us, it's because we're in a condition where we can't hear God. It's because we're in a condition, if we were to hear him, we're not going to listen because what we need to do is to rest, to refresh ourselves. They are, they are deeply, deeply spiritual activities. Number two, find purpose in your position. God asks Elijah, he says to him, what are you doing here? If the place that you're in is a place where God is silent, you need to find your purpose in it. Why are you in that place? What are you doing here? Are you in this place because of disobedience? Have you wondered? Have you drifted? Are you in this place because there's something that God wants to refine in you, something that can't be refined without a time of silence? What is the purpose for the position that you're in? So many people say that when you're struggling to hear God, what you need to do is to go back to the last thing that God said. Have you heard people say that? If you, can't, if you haven't heard God, you can't hear God, go back to the last thing that he said. I think that's right, and that, that's good advice, but there's a parallel question to ask with that. It's not only what's the last thing that God said, it's what is God saying through the silence? See, because God, God speaks. Sometimes he speaks with words, and sometimes he speaks with silence. We need to understand the purpose of our position. God, when, when God is silent, he doesn't give, he's not giving silent treatment to people that he's upset with. Right? God's not a child who sulks with you when you've done something wrong and says, you know what, I'm not going to speak to you for another two weeks. That's not, that's not God. That's not the character of God. That's not the nature of God. And so I want you to understand here this morning, if, if God is silent, it's not because he's upset. It's not because he's angry. It's not because he's sulking. When God is angry, he will speak to you pretty loudly when he's angry. When God's angry, he's not quiet. There's always a purpose in God's silence. What is the purpose for your position? Terry Virgo says this, because God has been so explicit in demonstrating his love for us, we must never interpret any experience as a demonstration of his indifference or lack of love. Never interpret any experience, such as God being silent, as a demonstration of his indifference or lack of love. What is God saying through the silence? I'm not sure. I can't, I'm not sure what God is saying to you through the silence, but I can tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying that he's indifferent towards you. To be indifferent means, meh, I don't really care. Whether, whether it happens or doesn't happen, I don't really care. That's what it means to be indifferent, right? God, God is not indifferent to your circumstances. He's not indifferent to the questions that you have. I, I know what else he's not saying. He's not saying that I don't love you through his silence. We, we, we cannot interpret any experience as a demonstration of his indifference or lack of love. But there's a purpose for your position, and I do know that God wants to speak to you. Sometimes he speaks through words and sometimes he speaks through silence, but he wants to speak to you, not through somebody else, to you. 
He can speak through somebody else, good. But he wants to speak to you directly, straight to you. God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. To have grandchildren means I have a relationship with my grandfather through my father, right? I have a secondary relationship with my grandfather. God doesn't want to have a relationship with you through somebody else who knows him. He doesn't, God doesn't want you to have a relationship with him through me as a pastor. God doesn't want you to worship him through a worship leader. Those things are helpful. Those things are good. But if that's the only relationship that you have with you, that he has with you, you are a grandchild of God, not a child of God. He wants to have a primary relationship where he speaks with you. Does he speak through worship, through preaching, through other people's counsel? Absolutely. Of course he does. But that's not the only way that he wants to speak to you. What is God saying to you through your silence? What is the purpose of your position? Because when we understand the purpose of where we found ourselves, then we were able to find God in it. C.S. Lewis says this, To some, God is discoverable everywhere. To others, he is discoverable nowhere. Some people can, only, some people can discover God in the, in the fire, in the earthquake, in the storm, in the wind, in the waves, in the whisper. Some people can't discover him in any of those places. Discovering why you are in the place you are in will enable you to find God in it. Either you need to repent and change, or you need to keep going and faithfully navigate through it. Remember, the goal isn't to get out of that place quickly. It's to, the emphasis on how, is, is on how faithfully we navigate. Number three, descend from the kingdom of noise. The world that we live in, friends, is a kingdom of noise. It is full of noise. The kingdom of God is one filled with peace, with rest, with reflection and silence. Do you ever feel like you're just surrounded constantly by noise? Not only sound noise, mental noise, emotional noise, time noise. It's just a constant drone of noise around you. Do you feel like that? It's not just me. I know that because I speak to some of you. The world that we live in is a kingdom of noise. I have a few kids and they all have really loud voices. My youngest is, a, is our only daughter. So she's got four older brothers. She learned quite young that if she was to shout really loudly, people listened to her. The louder she shouted, the more people listened to her, right? Nobody had to teach her that. She discovered it on her own. All kids are like that, right? If you were to go to a, a kid's playground and watch kids, obviously not in a creepy way, watch your own kids. If you were to watch kids in a, in, in a social setting, they all learn that, right? There's no kids whispering on the playground, they're shouting their loudest, right? Those of you that have young kids in your house are familiar with this. Kids don't, don't, don't creep around the house whispering. If they do, they're up to no good. Kids stomp around the house shouting. The number, the number one thing that we say in the house, stop stomping, stop shouting, right? Those are the two things, hands down, the two things that we say in our house. But here's something else that my kids do. When they want something important from me, if they want to have an important conversation, do they still shout? No. In fact, when they, when they want to have an important conversation or they want to ask me something that they really, really want, what happens is they actually talk so softly that I have to ask them to repeat it. And I've got really good hearing. I can pick out a yellow rump tinker bird at 500 meters in a chorus of bird calls, right? I've got good hearing. But yet when my kids have something important to tell me, they tell me so softly that they have to repeat it. Why do, they, why do they shout all the time and then whisper when it's important? 
Because shouting often just becomes noise. When we live in a kingdom of noise, the more we shout, the more it becomes background noise and just part of the cacophony of our lives in the kingdom of noise that we live with. But to listen to a whisper requires full attention. You see, noises we can listen to all at once, but we can't pay attention to two things at once. Okay? Maybe you can pay attention to two things at once, maybe. But what about three? What about five? What about 50? You, you can listen to 50 noises at once, but you can't pay attention to 50 things at once. The problem is for so many of us that we never descend from the kingdom of noise. We live there and we never allow God to speak to us in a whisper because he never has our full attention. God speaks to Elijah, but he's not in the wind. He's not in the earthquake. And he's not in the fire. He's in the whisper. Because God wants to speak to us when he has our full attention. What's keeping God from having so many of our full attentions? It's the discipline of doing less. We buy into the notion that God has created us to be so busy all the time that our lives are simply a blur and there's never any time for proper rest, for enjoyment, for joy, for reflection, for silence. There's never any time and space for a whisper. We wonder why God isn't talking and so we get frustrated and we use our gifts without grace. We don't find purpose in our position and, and we end up living in the kingdom of noise, not in the kingdom of peace. Friends, we have to descend from the kingdom of noise to the kingdom of peace, out of the storm, into the whisper. Number four and lastly, we stand in, God says to Elijah, stand on, the mountain, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. I'm constantly amazed by how many people think that God is silent, but they've never read their Bibles. I'm constantly amazed. Friends, we know that we're living in the most biblically illiterate times since the dark ages. People do not know the Bible. The Dark Ages were called the Dark Ages because there were a time when the, when the light, the Word of God, the Bible, was hidden away in monasteries and only very select certain people, few people, had access to that. And so the, the commoners, the rest of the people, the general population, you and me, had no access to the Word of God. It was, that's why it was called the Dark Ages throughout history. From that time to now, we are currently living in the most biblically illiterate generation since then. Forget people, Christians do not know what the Bible says. We're very quick to say God is silent, but very slow to open our Bibles to see what God is saying. They say, you've heard the saying, if you want to hear God speak audibly, read the Bible out loud. It's as simple as that. <clears throat> We're asking God to speak to us through a sign through a word, through a preacher, through a worship song, God speak to me. And God does all of those things, absolutely. He can speak in the quiet whisper. He can shout in the storm, absolutely. But the number one way that God speaks to us is through the Bible. I've been going through an incredibly tough time in a particular area lately. I've made what I believe to be a correct decision for spiritual reasons, and it but if you looked at it with natural eyes, it made absolutely no sense. Looking at, looking at the decision that I'd made, naturally, you, you could, we could debate until the cows come home. It, it just made no sense. But I believed it was the right decision to make spiritually. And so I made that decision. And to be honest, I'd fasted and I'd prayed and I didn't know what else to do. Although I'd made the decision, I was still wrestling with, is this the right decision? Because it made no sense naturally. 
So I had a discussion with a friend who I considered to be a godly man. And he listened to my story and he gave me some scriptures to go and read. And the first two scriptures that I read were good. They were, they were helpful. There was things that I could take out and there were things that I could apply and build with into that situation. The third scripture that, I, that he gave me to read was almost word for word, the exact wording that I'd been struggling with. An obscure scripture in Ezra chapter 4. Virtually the word for word, what I'd been struggling with and why it made no sense to me was answered with this scripture. It was the kindness of God. See, God could have spoken to me in a dream. I could have been silent all I wanted and God could have spoken to me in my heart. Absolutely. He could have spoken to me through somebody else. Absolutely. He could have chosen to do all of those things. And there still would have been this nag in me, is God in this? Is it the right decision because it makes no sense? The kindness of God to speak to me through his word into my situation and break something open. And he wants to do the same for you. Don't just read passages of scripture, pieces of scripture, and then move on. Allow God to speak to you through it. Every time you read scripture, don't just move on. Ask yourself two, two questions. What does this teach me about God? And how does this teach me to live? What does this teach me about God? And how does this teach me to live? See, every scripture in the Bible does one of these two things, and some of them do both. It teaches you about God, and it teaches you how to live. That's what every single scripture in the Bible does. And so as you are reading scripture, ask yourself those two questions every single time. There's times when God is silent, for sure. There's times, there's seasons, there's circumstances, and there's purpose for it. But we can't say that God is silent if we've never given him the chance to speak and our Bibles are still closed. Some of us are trying to make decisions and we think that God is silent on that decision because we don't know what the Bible says on it. We have to reverse this trend, friends. We, we, have, a, we have a Bible reading plan that some of us are going through at the moment. If you've never read the Bible to a plan, perhaps you've never read the Bible. Perhaps you've considered yourself a Christian and you've done a PCI and a piece there, but you've never actually read the Bible. We want to help you. Today is a good day to start. Today is a great day to start. There's going to be somebody at the hospitality desk afterwards. Give them your name. We will get hold of you. We want to help you to read the Bible. To a plan, we want to help you to read the Bible. If you've, never, if you've never done that, never read to a plan or never read it, come speak to somebody at the hospitality desk. Give them your name. We will get hold of you. We want to help you. We want to help you move from, from a place where God is silent to a place where God can speak. Let's give them an opportunity to speak, right? Make sure in times when God is silent, make sure that you keep accessing grace so that you don't grow frustrated and bitter and use your gifts to break people down instead of build them up. Allow God time and space to speak. He always speaks in time and in space. Resting and eating are spiritual activities that can actually help you hear God clearer. Resting and refreshment. Find purpose in your position. Am, are you in this position because of disobedience or because of God's plan and purpose? Descend from the kingdom of noise to the kingdom of peace, a place where you can hear and focus on a whisper and stand in the mountain in the presence of God. Ask God to speak to you through his word. Can you stand with me, please, friends?